Oh my goodness. Hey, hi, it's Mike. Did you know that Abe and Bridget and me are trying to make a movie right now? Yes, right dang now. It's called Papa Bear and tells the poignant and hilarious true story of the time my dad came out as a gay furry when I was 17. Uh, if you care about that at all, please head to seedandspark.com slash fund slash papa hyphen bear to find out much more about the project, how you can be a part and earn really cool rewards for helping us out. See you there. Here's your pod. Thanks so much. Pet Cemetery, Lou from Massachusetts is moving to Derry, but suddenly somebody's running over their cat, so they bury it, but it gets resurrected so fast. So the cemetery won't let the creeds be or let things stay D to the EAD. They try to shut it down, but can't you see? Saying this grave's empty, OMG! So come on and flip when the Wendigo rips your soul from your body and you turn to a dick and get ready. Shit's about to get lit now. I settle on my lawsuits. Fuck you, Lithgow! Whoa! Huh? That's all. It's done. You, you can respond. <laughs> the Slim Reaper over here. That is. Yeah. I love it. I, I, you just came in at 11, baby. And that's what you get. Slim when Grady? You is that his name? Grady? I don't know. Lithgow's character. If it's Grady, then amazing. No, it's Louis. Or Louis. <laughs> no, Louis is the main guy. What's Lithgow's name in it? Oh, Lithgow is Judd. Judd, Judson, Judson. Jud. That's right. Well, there's well, good. There's no pun there, but guess what is here? Mm-hmm. Cock. That's right. Yeah. Kings of King. We didn't mean we to make that the acronym. I'm kind of sorry it is, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be something. Might as well be. Yeah. Funny. I didn't even think about it. Like when we formed it, I don't think that was on our mind. Well, we were just like. Yeah, before cock, the title's much longer, but we realized it's spelled analingus, and we're like, we can't do that. <laughs> I'm Michael Swain. That's Abe Epperson. We talk yep. about all kinds of film and TV adaptations mm-hmm. of Mar- our man Stephen King. The, so if you were unaware of what King, it's Stephen King. That one. <laughs> Is there mm-hmm. another famous author named King? At me. Martin Luther, I believe. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Take it back. Not Luther. <laughs> uh... This film had two directors and two writers, so this podcast has two hosts. That's how we do it uh, mm-hmm. on this show. And our, you know, if you're interested, check out the Cohen Brothers, Brothers, Anders, Sons. We do these deep dives with these pun titles, and we like to examine th- things through like, oh, no, we don't do lenses on this. We do segments! I almost Spectra. fooled you. That's right. It was a test, listener. You failed. Let's do yeah. the first segment. It's where we uh, nutshell the story in case you haven't remembered it or haven't watched it in a while. Uh, So we're going to do Under the Dome for specifically 2019's Pet Cemetery. Our best guess puts the dome at 20,000 feet, sir. Did he just call it a dome? You think we might be stuck in here a while? All right. Let's frame up Mm -hmm. 
Shot reveals a, like blood and chaos of last, last night's horror. Car doors open, blood spilled all over the ground. Oh, what happened? Jump to presumably before. I guess a family you're wondering on the road. how I got into this situation, but mm-hmm. without saying that. <laughs> this family's driving to their new home in a small mm-hmm. mountain town. Boxes ready to open as soon as they arrive. They, uh, they're startled by a trucker speeding past the home's adjacent street. A stupid jump scare that I think serves as like more like a, hey, there's danger here kind of vibe. Uh, what, more the than car? Anything. Yeah, or but it's truck? foreshadowing yeah, yeah, yeah. the eventual death. There's so uh, much sweaty foreshadowing. I like the moment where they're like, uh, it really is. but our son won't die. Or like, will, will our son die? No, no, he can't die. Surely. He can't He's just a child. Die. Life's not that cruel. <laughs> Uh, they've moved so they can spend more time as a family Jason Clark is the daddy Jason Clark daddy he's a doctor and I guess he's taken a position out of the city uh, Boston so he can spend time with his family so we got a lot of like just it's just ringing king all over the place small mountain town family uh, danger on the street later revealed to be Maine they are in Maine urban rural Yeah. yeah yeah it's like it's just just bringing out the hits is the point. He's just, this is exactly where you would imagine. There's no King greaser bully with a switchblade. That's the only missing That's link. That's true. But yeah. yeah. Maybe yeah. Judson was that in the 50s. Like he's the right age for it. <laughs> he grew up into this. Yeah. <laughs> he was the Fonzie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's important to know that they also brought their cat, Church, who is so crucial the- to know. Just the deadest cat you've ever seen in a movie. The first animal in a movie called Pet Cemetery. You know mm-hmm. that cat is dead as shit. Um, anyway, That's Rachel, yeah. Rachel, uh, who's the mother, and Ellie, the daughter, witness a kind of uh, procession when they first go out into their backyard slash uh, the forest that uh, of their new enormous property. And they see a few kids with like a dead dog in a wheelbarrow. They wear animal masks. So it's just like, Oh, okay. We moved to this new house. That's not creepy. Um, and Ellie travels out alone immediately into the forest and finds a pet cemetery with creepy Appalachian twigs and trinkets, not to mention an American flag adorning gravestones, uh, just like real Americana shit. And uh, this is where we're introduced to John Lithgow, yeah. who basically chastises her for trying to climb a lumber pile. We'll figure out why later. And he points out, <laughs> I love the first thing you run into a kid, John Lithgow, and you're like, hey, you want to see my dead dog's gravestone? <laughs> well, they are there in the neighborhood. Well, there's a lot of, I mean, we'll get into it more, but I think it's amazing how chill the mom is about the procession of kids in masks with a dead animal. Yeah, Once she, she just... gets the explanation, no, she doesn't even get it yet. The kid's like, what is that? And she's like, it's some kind of procession. He's like, that doesn't explain. Yeah. Would you not at the very least, they're on your property like, deep in the woods go, hey, hey, kids, you want some lemonade what? or is your parent, or is your mom with you? You know, why are you creepy as hell? They just watch them. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, shows off. Um. The dog's great. But he Biffer. says, yes, yeah, stay away from here. Generally, it's not good for kids. Dum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I just marked this because I was like, this is such a Stephen Kingism. Uh, John Lithgow, I guess, when he's introducing his dog, has a little rhyme that he likes to say. Biffer, one hell of a sniffer. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is but like, he cautions- okay, that's the only reason you named him Biffer. Biffer's not a real dog name. 
That's not a real name. You reverse engineering fuck. Yeah, 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 you terrible naming asshole. Uh, He tells Ellie not to wander in the woods. That seems fair. Um, That night, Ellie's full of questions about death because she just saw a cemetery and she's fairly young. So obviously that would happen. Yeah. And her parents explain how natural it is. uh, And it's a great case of King taking a natural part of like child rearing and family, you know, just experiences and just just perverting it. Um, yeah, and doing the f- classic, or um, it's mm-hmm. not really beaten to death, but we've definitely seen it before, where it seems right. like it's almost the first time the parents have compared notes, or they kicked the can down the road, because um, they mm-hmm. conflict over one wants to keep her childhood, the mom wants to keep her childhood alive and lie, and the dad wants to tell her, like, no, 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 it's not scary, it's okay to accept it, but yes, you'll die and you'll rot away, but it's okay. You know, that yeah. the two different tacks you could take. And the mom wants to be like, no, no, no. When, when church is dead, he'll be in pet heaven and shit. Uh, yeah. yeah. So then they step out of the room and argue about how do you discuss death with kids? And I will say, never having read this story or seen any of the versions, this is a King story I wasn't familiar with. Mm-hmm. I do like that the theme is like, okay, death is scary what's your take on it? Or like, how do you come to right. terms with it? Right. The theme is obviously, how do you come to terms with it? And, uh, it's horror because he doesn't, and he gets punished. Uh, what are the yeah. American, I mean, not, this is not American specifically, but what are the sense like in Americana, like a, a huge thing that we, you know, America family values, right? Like mm-hmm. what are the things that you're supposed to say? Well, to almost and have to in do these cases obliged yeah. to do to your kid. Like, I also think it's interesting that uh, it's almost Greek tragedy rules, right? Like as soon as his kid's dead and he knows there's a graveyard that brings him back to life, he's not going to not do it. Like it's yeah. it, the Greek tragedy where you're like, well, he was doomed from the start. What are you going to not bring your dead kid back to life if you can't, even though you know it's going to go bad? Yeah. Gonna, yeah. I mean, it is America opportunistic as fuck, right. especially when dealing with your dead children. Um but something that we also see is this kind of subplot, <clears throat> which is also in the book and in the uh, uh, the, the first uh, adaptation in 1989. There's Pet Cemetery, the first. Um, she, uh, she, as in Rachel, the mother, thinks when she's just moseying over the whole thoughts of death, uh, she thinks of her sister Zelda, who died of something horrifying. It's not really explained, but her body's misshapen and... Uh, nearly demonic. Uh, nice like, job, Link. Of... You're supposed to be looking out for her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, in her past, her parents left Rachel alone to take care of Zelda for long periods of times. And it's something that clearly traumatized her. And so she also has unique thoughts about like death. And as that subplot develops, we learn that she has had interactions with the supernatural before, which is what we're all setting up. We learn through watching him do it. The Judd is a trauma surgeon at a local school. A kid comes in after a hit and run, having been like dragged under the truck. So he's Two-Face. He's got the meat face on the one half, you know? And uh, they're like, no way. Like, he's not going to live. One of the nurses is like, I can see his brain. You're a terrible nurse. You're not prepared for this. Anyway, you're a nurse in a trauma center. Anyway, um, he dies. But then late 
after that night when uh, what's his name? Dad. I'm sorry, I'm bad with the character names on this. Jason Clark. The character's name is Lewis. Yeah. Lou, Lou, Lewis. Yeah. When Lewis is alone with the body briefly because he's scrubbing up or whatever, the body sits straight up and comes alive. And his name, the kid's name was Victor. And he says, like, you know, horror stuff. I think he says you're all going to die the, very soon. Or he says the then, barrier says, the is not is meant. Sour. The barrier is not meant to be broken is what yeah. he says in this interaction. Yeah. Warns him again. Like every, it's a recurring theme. This, and that's why I say Greek tragedy. This may be the most warned guy whoever still yeah. did the thing. <laughs> yeah. He's basically just like, what? you're never listening to me. And I'm telling <laughs> yeah. you horrifying shit all the time. Like a ghost came uh, back to life to be like, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like at dinner later, the family in Lithgow, cause they're like having like their neighbors. So it's like, have, li- have Lithgow over mm-hmm. and they discuss the property line. Turns out the cemeteries on the family's property. And that night, Jason Clark has another haunting by Victor, and he dreams that he's in the forest. And that's where, yeah, we get the the kind of famous line, the ground, the ground is sour. Is and he wakes and realizes his feet are dirty. So it wasn't really a dream after all. Ooh. Um, next, on Halloween, and I want to point out how everything coincides with, like, typical like events of child rearing and just like family memory uh in, like just big events holidays such and such like that uh lithgow shows clark hey your cat got hit by a truck uh maybe you should hide it from the kids but he's also adamant that hey you should bury that tonight by the way um now the parents have to tread this whole death conversation with their kid again because um, you know, they're going to have to find a way to explain the or cat away. They, the mo- or Rachel is like, or we could just say the cat ran away mm-hmm. or went to heaven. And they're like, I don't want to do that. So they're arguing about so, that yeah. again. Uh, yeah. And then we get the second beat of the flashback from Rachel yep. where we learn about more about the Zelda trauma, which was that her sister died of a horrible wasting disease that twists your bones and was bedridden most of her life. And on it, like reasonably, or it's not surprising, um, resentful that she had a sister almost her same age who completely dodged the disease and seemed fine. Uh, So she always, she was mean to her and told her, this is going to happen to you, or I hope this happens to you one day. You'll be bedridden for the rest of your life. Just watch. Don't believe me. Just watch. That's from this. Anyway, (laughs) then... uh, the parents, when she got old enough, would leave her to take care of her bedridden sister and tell her to feed her. And the house had an old dumb waiter in it. But from like, you know, when the house was built and they would say explicitly, don't feed her with the dumb waiter because it's not it doesn't work. Go up there and give her the food. But she was so scared and, uh, you know, gun shy from the horrible interactions with her sister that she fed her through the dumb waiter. And even though it was so painful and hard for her sister to get up out of bed and move across the room, and then she feels tremendous guilt about the sounds of her sister painfully scraping across the room to get her food. And then to top it all off, one time she does it and the sister falls down the dumbwaiter and snaps her neck and dies right in front of her. And Zelda seems to persist after calling her name out from her room. So we get this and live in the house vibe. for years after, like be in the walls yeah. and shit. Yeah. So, so Rachel is just real fucked up by the experience. <laughs> um, 
while burying Church, the cat, Lithgow runs like kind of an audible. He says, because he's had, he's starting to grow a relationship with Ellie and he realizes that the death of a cat will really fuck up Ellie. He doesn't want that. So he's like, hey, Jason Clark, I'm going to use this horrifying force to revive your cat. Uh, so Ellie isn't sad. Even though he fully knows the repercussions because he did this to his when he was young, he did this uh, to his dog. Yeah. Uh, And they travel through what is best described as a bone swamp uh, and they bury the cat in a special haunted place and do a cute little ritual. And I love that Jason Clark in this conversation, like halfway through, like he's like, hey, dig that hole, bury your cat. Make sure you put some, you know, Karen Stones on it and yeah. stuff like that, which is really specific. And Jason Clark, which you would, is turns to Lithgow and is like, "We doing some necromancy or some <laughs> yeah. shit?" Like, and Lithgow's like, "Nah, no, it's, it's fine." Like my head, just my totally foot straight does, did just crush a human skull like that shot from Terminator Two, but okay, <laughs> yeah. okay, okay, okay. I also like the, the ne- idea that that skeleton's there because some dumb guys came and were like. It's supposed to come back to life. You think we ought to bury him? Nah. Dude, nah. <laughs> just set him here. It ain't working, boss. Oh, no. The bat. <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, no. Get out of here. Uh, he also, uh, uh, which I do like. Uh, well, oh, sorry. We'll get there because I'm skipping. I'm burying the lead, which is, of course, as you'd expect, the next day church right. is alive. But uh, yep. he acts different. He hides in the closet and hisses if you approach him. Uh, he's covered in blood, but they can't clean him because he'll scratch you. He stinks. And uh, Lewis is like, well, I got to talk to Judd. Judd is mildly surprised, but obviously thought it might happen. He's like, well, I'll be damned. And uh, the bit <laughs> I thought was funny is that he goes, well, how do you explain it? And he says, I don't. And then they cut to a long scene where he explains it in detail. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I also love that that whole scene, Lithgow's playing it real cool. He's like, dude, just chill. You have a dead cat now. It's fine. It's a dead <laughs> alive cat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but as he explains, it's Shining Rules. Uh, and indeed, this may be part of the broader multiverse. This movie didn't tie that much into the Kingiverse. But, you know, it's it's similar to the Overlook Hotel and several other novels. There's a place where so much evil happened or something happened. We don't know why. How can mm. we comprehend? And the place itself is evil. And uh, in the book, I'll point out, it was uh, ancient Indian burial ground, as was a popular problematic trope that we've used a lot. And in the movie, they probably, I think, smartly said, uh, no, 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 it's just an evil spot. In fact, so evil that the natives who lived in this area resettled like they wouldn't live here. Uh, And they set up the wood piles all around it to be like, you shouldn't come here. But American... America knows no bounds. Pave it over, Manifest baby. destiny. Let's yeah, put a Walmart just, there. Let's put a town. Uh, do you remember there were news stories about like a Walmart being built on the site of an ancient pyramid that they leveled and shit? Anyway. Um, Anything for that extra dollar, dude. Maybe the uh, maybe the pyramid, maybe those spirits will uh, give you that extra zhuzh. You know what I'm of, saying? We're trying to make a movie called that. Um, <laughs> so now the obligatory scene. Also very kingy and just arch horrory. Uh, Jason Clark goes through old news clippings and microfiche and shit online and like yeah. does Google Foo and learns that there's surprise, surprise, a long history of evil events in this town, uh, a la it, 
Uh, and there's even pictures of like the same kids in the same animal masks from a hundred years ago or whatever in the old newspaper, right? Um, mm. And all kinds of reports of like so and so's dog or oxen was seen on Main Street despite taking nine bullets to the head in a botched bank robbery yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's like, "This is the premise of the movie. I understand now." Uh, meanwhile, Ellie's playing with Church. And she tries to clean him, but he scratches her, right? It's just not a good scene. Um, She can tell. Everyone can tell it's creepy. Everyone Everyone knows. Yeah. So now even- The cat is wet and and gross and dead smelling. Right. The child is like, daddy, I don't like new church. I really think we should go home. I hear the wind to go sometimes. (laughs) And uh, he ignores this additional warning. Uh, and instead goes to make tender love with Rachel. Also a good choice. Like that's, also a good that's choice. A good choice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's. I mean, in his mind, he's killing it right now, <laughs> or you at know? least like repairing the holes in the boat. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's managing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, then Church comes in and drops a dead live bird on their bed. <laughs> yep. As like is normal cat stuff, but it, like even the bird My cat is has like. Done that. It feels like the bird has been swallowed and regurgitated. Like everything is wet, and that's just really yeah. What's doing not all normal lifting. is that they have zombie makeup on, like the animals, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because the behavior of the cat is just normal cat behavior. If your cat is an asshole, it's just yeah. normal cat. Also, uh, I oh man, Ellie, Ellie, I keep wanting to call her Gilly. Uh, Ellie's saying he stinks. I assume is a reference to his body is still rotting. I assume the book. D- yeah. Makes it. So yeah. he's literally like Full they're zombie. undead, but they're not brought back. It's they are zombies. They no one ever mentions their body. It, yeah. But they're essentially zombies who still have. There's no sentience. healing. Yeah. There's no healing. Like church is all fucked right, up. I mean, I guess yeah. there is some like obviously is like spine was broken and it like reattached. But like there are uh-huh. there's scarring and blood all over. The rules are not clear to the point that I nah. don't feel the need to analyze them. But you're right. Like her mm-hmm. body gets crushed and mangled by a giant truck and it's back together. But then she rots. So whatever. Uh, the cat. This is the first thing that's not normal cat behavior. And I do like it as a sinister touch, which was added. It's not in the book. The cat consciously like teasing them places. So the cat leads him down into the basement. Not the basement. Don't do the basement. Not the basement. Um, And he has another vision of Victor, the dead kid from the hospital, telling him, uh, I warned you and I'm warning you for a second time. I'll probably swing by one more time to warn you, but I can tell you're Mm -hmm. not going to do anything about it. So fuck you. Then he gets hit by a truck and (laughs) and then he gets up and he's like, I'm foreshadowing the thing. I'm not allowed to tell you the thing, but it should be obvious at this point. You're so stupid. (laughs) You're You're just so stupid. Um, Meanwhile, mom Mm -hmm. hears scary house sounds and of Zelda. And I I thought this was uh, the best jump scare, at least opens the medicine cabinet. And it's a spooky hole. Like it so often is in horror movies, but I just didn't see it coming that they use it as the dumbwaiter shaft. So Zelda again, falls into frame and snaps her neck. And you're like, whoa, (laughs) <laughs> and it furthers the it furthers the horror in a specific way, which is different from the jump scares that we've all grown to love to hate. Which is that it's just a something happens. A car drives by and goes and is loud in or the like soundtrack. in smile. The head falls to the yeah. side and enters. This frame. is a yeah. 
good jump scare, I would argue. If you anyway. don't, some people completely write off jump scares or fairly enough say, I don't like the experience of just being surprised, so that's not why I'm in it. Cool. But some people do, like, I don't mind that slight adrenaline bump of a jump scare. I hate when a movie relies, like, that's your only textural kind of scare. Then it's just boring eventually because of habituation. But uh, I think there can be such a thing as a good jump scare, and this one is qualifies. Yeah. I think this one has a few good ones. I do also think that they go overboard, but that's for with that's thumbs up, thumbs yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. You know. Um, so the baby boy who we haven't talked much about because he's young enough that he has no real personality, but his name is Gage, which is pretty cool. That's a pretty cool name. He finds uh, this part really spooked me and is not a jump scare. It's probably the part that spooked me the most because cats can be inherently creepy. Like Dr. Sleep mm-hmm. uses this too with the hospice, but it's also the eyes. You the know, cat's you just that staring at the baby. Like you're the next one to die, right? Inside the crib. Yeah. The crib. Like real, again. And he goes, don't do that, cat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> again, fairly normal cat stuff, like I assume. A cat would do. do yeah, cats do A that. A cat would just yeah. just linger. But it's just like, uh, don't want that dead cat near that kid. Uh, get the fuck out of here. And also the toddler has started to, well, not the toddler. I guess he's a little older than that. But Gage six, has started six, to draw- five. Probably like four or five, yeah. Started yeah. to draw horrifying pictures of church. Like Oh, and uh, he draws a like picture blood. of himself as a stick figure broken in the road. <laughs> right, yeah. So he's having some crazy dreams too, which might mean, as you mentioned before, the, the wider, you know, King multiverse. Perhaps he has some form of shin. Oh, yeah, there's a theories online that Gage has The Shining. And also, of course, uh, in the... Like also in deference to The Shining, I believe because the most famous deviation uh, that Kubrick made, other than the maze topiary thing, and that was just because they didn't want to try to pull off an uh, animatronic topiary garden, uh, was that Halloran gets axed in the stomach immediately, right? Uh, and that was a famously lauded maneuver, and I have to believe that's the reason that this movie goes so hard, goes like, you know how in the book the little boy dies? That is what's going to happen. That's totally the little boy. You know the story, little boy? You know it. Like they foreshadow, 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 um, you know, so they can do the twist of the girl dies instead. Um, But not yet. So first he goes to Judd again, and Judd gives him a second explanation where he's like, well, maybe it's the Wendigo. I don't know. Um, cause ultimately we don't know, but there is a screech we hear from the woods and there's a legend of the Wendigo, which is some kind of monster or spirit. It's an animal death spirit. Evil de- uh, demon. Yeah. Point is in this movie, we don't see it or hunt it or, and aren't scared of like the actual physical animal. It's more like a possessing demon that we makes do see at one point later, but it's hard to, it's easy to miss. But this does not turn into a hunting Bigfoot movie, which it's I would have liked. Exactly. Cause it would have exactly. been Lithgow does Harry and the Hendersons. And then to this, you know, <laughs> yes, this, get out of here, just stabbing get out of here. to go over and over screaming, <laughs> go stabbing. get out. No one wants you here. Um, <laughs> anyway, also I think it's so hilarious that he goes and what happened to Biffer? Oh, he came back evil. Well, then what the fuck were we? What are <laughs> like, you doing? And he's like, I thought it'd be different this time. It's been like 30 years. I don't know how evil cemeteries work. I thought I mean, maybe that's it fair. wore off. Yeah. That's fair, but like, it's not a gamble you should make with my kid's cat. Like, that's an overreaching neighbor. Yeah. Um, and he says another trailer line and book line, sometimes dead is better. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the more famous lines. Mm-hmm. So Clark, Clark can't bring himself to euthanize the cat. Uh, he's like ready to do it with like a needle and everything. So instead, he sets it free in the forest. And man, oh man, they got the best cat for this, by the way. Just constantly Played by pissed. four cats. Just pissed as hell. Just yeah. like, don't leave me out here. And we know that thing's coming back. Cut to at her birthday, Ellie, <clears throat> while playing hide and seek, sees church coming back on the road or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. engage. The boy is almost killed by a truck as is promised, but the, he's saved by uh, da- Jason Clark, daddy, and the truck flips to avoid them both. And it kills Ellie twist different from the book and the for the 1989 adaptation where gage is actually the kid who comes mm. back from the dead yeah that's where we're going so the family is obviously devastated and there's a you know like a honestly slow pace like 10 minute grieving period where like nothing much happens in the film other than rachel and the boy gage go to rachel's parents and sensing that Jason Clark is planning on reviving oh, Ellie. I, I ha- I, I'm sorry. I just yeah, have yeah. to point out a, a shot in the middle because, of course, they glossed right over the funeral. Like, it's just a brief moment of image oh, of right. grief. But I do think it's very important that Judd, who, may I remind you, this character is the inspiration for the South Park trope. Oh, you don't want to go down that road there. <laughs> Not that road there. Like, yeah. the, he is the warner. Like, from this guy, we derive all of the guys in the last gas station before you go into the woods to stay at the cabin who goes, that cabin? Whoa, okay. Uh, yeah, he's definitely yet, of that at type. the funeral, Judd locks eye contact with Jason Clark and gives him a, huh? Look like you know we're gonna resurrect. You dude. know He's you could do enabler. it. If, yeah, you could do it though. We're gonna do you it, could dude. Do it. And then later so, he's like, "Why did you do that? You gave me the eyes. I didn't give you the eyes. You know, like that's his yeah. vibe." So judges, judges a little uh, judge. Judd is a little tease. Yeah, because uh, sometimes dead is better, but also ah, uh, because he also misses Ellie, I guess. Uh, yeah. uh, and three times the charm with graveyards, I guess. But Jason Clark decides to take any way away any agency and just, you know, nip that in the bud and decides to drug Lithgow and exhume Ellie's corpse from the uh, person graveyard Tasty. and perform the ritual at the uh, animal and graveyard. as he performs it, Victor's ghost appears and says, mm-hmm. good sir, as foretold for the third and final time. I am yeah. warning you to not do this. All right, I got to go. <laughs> and he ignores this additional Thrice. warning. Yeah. That's right. And uh, we even cut to Boston and sh- where the parents, you know, uh, Rachel and Gage are with the parents. And we see that Gage can see Victor and starts crying. And I have to imagine Victor just told him, kid, your dad's an idiot. I tried. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm out of here. I'm sorry. I'm horrifying <laughs> yeah. to look at. But yeah. Kid, you got a shitty father. Um <laughs> So, and we actually see when he's performing the ritual, the off in the dense distance, we see the Wendigo looking Just on like eyes as and he it does. Howls. You're right. Yeah. And of course, Ellie rises from the dead. And of course, she comes back wrong. And then there's, so there's this terrible sequence of see, uh, scenes where Jason Clark is basically like, oh, I have a daughter now, she's but not a she's zombie. totally fucked it's up. It's still good. It's still good. He's combing her hair in the bathtub and it falls out. She, she remembers has... her own death. I don't know why. Uh, 
Uh, oh, I guess because because the coroner pieced her back together after the car yeah. accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she has and she's staples just up her head and shit. Yeah, yeah. Her her skull got crushed from the That's right. from and the now I see. from. Yeah, and she's but I love this touch that she's con- like she's immediately like I'm confused. I remember my death. I'm dead, right? And he sh- and he's like, nah, baby, nah. Forcing her <laughs> and, uh, into the position that he was against, which is lying to her about death. Yeah. I do like that. And, and then we get this, because we do have this kind of flirtation about the rules about, like, are they just naturally malevolent? Like, what's going on with these zombies? Because Ellie seems like she's chill until she's lied to. And then she immediately wants to just wreck shit. So we're uh, the reason I mention it is because I think a little later we're going to talk about like Stephen King's impulses when it comes down to is grief something that you make for yourself or is it always something that is done unto you? Um, anyway, that's just something that's interesting is I think that they played with it is Ellie. Ellie is both kind of she is both a, a demon and just is naturally going to do demon shit. But also, like, if you didn't lie to the demon, there could have been a way out. Like, she mm-hmm. could have been, like, less good, like, less of a monster. But we'll see. Um, after a call from Rachel, because obviously there's they've been in kind of phone conversations. Rachel and, uh, and Lewis have been kind of talking on the phone. And she can tell he's in a terrible place. He's obviously still there. And it's just like that place is full of grief. And he's like, I don't I don't I don't want to let go of her yet. And she doesn't realize that he literally means that. So she's like, you know what? I'm going to call Lithgow and check on a uh, ch- check on my husband for me. And he's like, hey, buddy, you got a dead daughter in there. Uh, he basically is that your tells, daughter in there. Is that dead daughter in there? He basically tells him, you know, if you do take care of it. I'll shoot her in the head. Dead daughter. That's what neighbors you know? are for. And I love it's also it's like you should also do that pretty quick before your wife gets home. She'll like he's cleaning up. up a party yeah. or some shit. Yeah. And Ellie's overhears this conversation so she sees Lithgow leave. He and sees her in the window her- confirming she exists. So he grabs and- a gun. She grabs a scalpel. Mm-hmm. And she sli- she goes over to his house and slices his Achilles heel while he's coming down the stairs. Good Good visceral murder. I love it. Also, at gray, uh, or you know, it's a famous point in the book and every adaptation. People love the ankle slice. It's uh, synonymous with this story. Like I knew it uh, without I, imbibing the story. It's, yeah. it's one of those things that I almost always like put my hand in front of my eyes Chucky when I'm like, no, it's coming. It, yeah. Yeah, it's just like, ah, I hate that. I hate it so much. Yeah. Uh, also, Ellie is now fully like Wendigo powered or spirited because she's able to morph or force a halluc- force hallucinate Lithgow with uh, her face is now his dead wife's face. Um, and they have like a short conversation where she like dunks on Lithgow. It's now exorcism, exorcist rules. Yeah. Meaning she also set looks in your heart and says the pettiest, most cutting, worst thing and knows all your right. secrets. Like, uh, you know, later she'll say to the mom, I'm, I'm gonna, I think we can like blow through her a little bit, um, in the sense that, you know, all hell breaks loose and she does all kinds of exorcist and evil dead shit and they fight her, but they don't want to kill her. And the mom's terrified and the mom is comparing it to her 
sister's experience, her experience with her sister, and yeah, yeah, the yeah. demon knows it. So Ellie's saying shit like, you wanted her to be dead. You liked it. You prayed that yeah. she would die. I did. I did. You're a piece oh, of shit God. in hell. Um, you know, all that stuff. It's pretty good. Um, but it's like <laughs> just climactic chasing around. I don't need to. Uh, by the way, she fully killed Lithgow after the slice to be. Yeah, she just stabs the shit out of clear. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he runs uh, Lewis, the dad. Here's Ellie running to the yard and they're chasing her and they're like, where is this little fucking raptor? Um, yeah. And Ellie maneuvers <laughs> into the bedroom with the knife and stabs her mom a bunch, sits with her and tortures her as she slowly dies, stabs her in the gut and literally twists the knife and sits there and like kills her as slowly as possible and says, like, I was your daughter and you just watched me die. You did nothing. It's your fault. Pretty fucked up. Um, also says you, the line you got to say. I mean, it's such a primal human fear. Um, Daddy was wrong. There is something after this, but no one goes to heaven. Everyone goes to hell. I'll see you there, mommy. You'll be there soon, mommy. uh, I also love in the sequence, there's a, uh, because there's a short conversation between Jason Clark and when Rachel and Gage return, uh, where Rachel is like, what the fuck are you doing? And Jason Clark, in his grief, pleads with her, basically explaining himself. And he says, let God take his own fucking kid, which is a great line. But he did, uh, honestly. No, his own fucking like, yeah, like, Jesus. Don't take my kid, Jesus. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. But a he's bit. like, maybe look into it. Anyway. Uh, maybe <laughs> do some research before People you. People said mean show things your ass. to him as he died. In fact, <sighs> I believe, and I don't know if this is intentional on King's part. Uh, in the book, I don't know if this is supported. I'd love if someone who's read it chimes in, but. Uh, I noticed she stabs the mom right where the spear pierced Jesus as he suffered and died on the cross. Mm, well, there you go. Maybe. Mm, convert, maybe. maybe. Uh, anyway, he, uh, he finds, you know, Lewis bursts in and finds the mom dying. Her last words are, don't you fucking do it. Don't you resurrect <laughs> yeah, me. Don't Something you along resurrect those lines. me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ellie sneaks up behind and knocks him out with a chair, professional wrestling style, like boom. In the back of the head with a Pretty chair. Like, <laughs> yeah. My God. Yeah, um, exactly. Drags mom's uh Ellie drags mom's body to the haunted swamp. So now you're, it's dawning on you. Oh, she's gonna I make a pause, zombie family. Yeah. I want to pause one thing because you skipped one one little detail that I think is important for the very end of the thing, which is that uh Rachel before she dies. In her panic of like I'm about, I know I'm about to die, and I'm in a room with Gage, mm-hmm. throws. Gage down to Jason Clark in the yard and Jason yeah, Clark puts drop. Gage into the car and locks it. So now there is a, you know, four year old in a car and then all these events happen. By the way, also total Continu- shades of Cujo, just because we like to track King's mm. overlap here because something King's a master of is he has written so many stories and as you're experiencing them, they do feel mostly different and mostly people just notice like the bully thing or that he's, he likes to throw in old slang. But the more you dig in, the more you notice like he's a master of reusing and reusing. And I don't mean that in a bad way because among his 50,000 books, there's still hundreds of original ideas, but he's not mm-hmm. afraid to like a stand-up comedian, like tour with the same material or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I just think it's interestingly similar to Cujo, which features a child locked in a car alone because the parent dies and there's a rabid dog outside the car. And that's the whole premise. I'm excited to cover that one. Anyway, 
Uh, yeah, Ellie's trying to turn everyone into a zombie family. Uh, <laughs> he chases her to, I mean, you know where she's going. She says, welcome to Carcosa. I'm sorry, the buried church. <laughs> Attacks him with the butcher knife. They fight. There's some light wire work. Uh, some John Wick shit, you know. It's pretty They're shooting sweet. at each other. Gun kata from Equilibrium. None of this. I forget. <laughs> I think they just grapple and stab each other in the they mud. They grapple. He's going to uh, decapitate her with a shovel. Uh-huh. Good on ya. And she acts cute. Uh, which we've seen before because the cat acted cute to try to get someone to spare its life. And he's like, I can do it now. You know, parallel to when he couldn't kill the cat. He's like, I got to do Like, I have to do this. No matter I got You got to go, Ellie. So he's ready to do it. But zombie mom has risen and she stabs him in the back with a piece of pointy rebar before he can decapitate their daughter. They bury him. He's a zombie. What? No zombie Judd? Didn't want zombie neighbor. Okay. Nope. Didn't earn his way in. Anyway, they're all zombie family. And the chilling final image is zombie family coming up to the car and like smiling in at the kid and knocking on the window and going like, hello. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Right. As it cuts to black, we hear the sound of the car being unlocked. Mm-hmm. So one big happy zombie family. Um, and that's uh, that that's that's under the dome. That's <sighs> this. That's the 2019's Pet Cemetery. Yeah. So despite repeated warnings that I am hearing in my head from some ghost, uh, let's dig further into this bone swamp in a segment we call Skeleton Crew. Something in the mist! Shut the doors! Shut the door! This is where we talk about anything behind the scenes or logistical we want to discuss. We actually covered a bit of it as we synopsized. Uh, As I joked at the top, This was directed by two folks, written by two folks. I don't, there's nothing interesting about that except the fact that I looked through their, all of their IMDb's exhaustively, and I think it's Mm -hmm. notable that none of them have ever made anything interesting. (laughs) Like, no one involved, they've all only made mediocre stuff. Spoiler alert, this film's like not great or whatever. But uh, that's all I'll note. I think it's, (laughs) that that's notable. Moving on. Yeah, the the craftspeople and (laughs) like directors, writers are, you know, like they, it was, they're using a young, like a younger, you know, greener kind of crew, which is kind of, I mean, 2019 is still true, very much true, but this was starting to happen. Something that studios would do a lot of, especially for projects like this. And one of the names that I want to mention, who is the producer of this, is Lorenzo Di, uh, Di Bonaventura, mm-hmm. who is the, you'll recognize him because he's all over the Transformers series, all of the Michael Bay's like producers. I stand corrected. But... That's not why he's famous. Like he's one of the biggest producers in Hollywood, period. Because famously, when he worked at Warner Brothers, he was the guy who jumpstarted and say, hey, everyone, there's this thing called The Matrix that I read. We need to buy it right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they did. And then a few years later, he was like, we need to beat everyone to these these uh, these books. They're called Harry Potter and we need to buy them right now. Oh, so and the so producer is super notable. Okay. So the, yeah, yeah, the producer, and that's that's one of these, that's what these kind of, a lot of horror movies, like, that's like a lot of the trajectory of James it, Bond It also as kind well. of feels like a guy playing roulette who, who's good at it, um, yeah. spreading some bets around. Once you have a big exactly. pile of chips, right, you want to diversify your bets. 
And they already, the studio already knows what they want to do with the picture at this point. So this is like where we really start to see how producers have not overstepped, but like they've, they've taken a new role in the creative kind of, uh, you know, arbitration of these movies. And that's what pets. And sometimes people will argue like, and I'm probably on in that camp where it's like, yeah, that's what makes these things kind of feel all the same because they're all kind of risk adverse in that way. But it's being done by a farm and they kind of want less resistance. So they hire writers and directors and people who will listen because they're excited to work on something. And they can have very creative uh, ideas for the picture, but it's not going to, you know, digress too far from the original kind of studio vision. So, and it was one of the very studio driven, like uh, Paramount pushed for the movie to be made finally because King let them know that their option on the rights to the IP was about to run out and he wasn't going to renew. So they're like, we better squirt one out real quick then if we're going to make our money back on the investment of owning the Pet Cemetery franchise. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, uh, so that's, that tells you why these types of movies are made. And that's very interesting to me because it's like, oh, it's a, like a mathematical decision and also like the concept, even down to like the color correction and stuff. Yeah. Very mathematical. So equally interesting to me, logistically, of course, are a few things that they changed, most notably, uh, Ellie dying instead of Gage, which their reason is very simple and straightforward. And I think very smart. Uh, she's old enough to form more complete sentences and they wanted to play with the kid being able to talk. I will say it's interesting that heading down that road, that road there, it's an old story, right? And I think one of the things we got to talk about Mm -hmm. is it's highly influential in terms of horror tropes. There's a lot of horror tropes from the book. It's an older book, seventies, I think, um, that became borrowed. Uh, so like the fact that she can speak almost led the writers into the trap of doing a sound alike of exorcist. Cause what else is she going to say? Right. You know, and that actually bothered yeah. me. But in this day and age, if they just made gauge do it, it would have felt derivative of Chucky, even though it inspired right. Chucky. I'm pretty sure, you know, like that, it's yeah, just this a great What if it was a doll? So anyway, it's got that interesting melange of, of that kind of stuff. Um, but they did, they were trying to keep it fresh. And the other way they tried to keep it fresh, of course, is the ending is nothing like the original ending. And, uh, it's the, well, they shot two endings and one of them was the book ending. And one was the ending that we that's, saw. They that tested did well. That's right. That's yeah. true. As and the book so ending do. is a little, it's a little darker. Uh, basically he doesn't kill, uh, Gage or in this case it would have been Ellie. Mm-hmm. And so they shot that version and they bury Rachel in the cemetery together. And then once they're reunited, we sh- see a shot of Jason Clark kind of holding Gage crying and he's going to like, so he's going to be a like, human. Honey, I'm home and she's, like, he's going to try to make it work with the zombie family. <laughs> he basically kills his whole family. It's kind of like the mist ending. It, which okay. is kind of interesting. I wanted to bring even this the, up, even though oh, okay. it belongs yeah, in another yeah. segment. But since you mention it, I will say an, an opinion and we'll just have to have it unsorted. Sorry, it's the wrong segment. That's fine. But it's the time because you brought it up. Um, this is in 2019, a lot longer than The Mist, like a lot after The Mist. And The Mist is really good. Uh, and The Mist also famously changed the ending. And... The Mist also ends with, spoilers, or listen to that episode or watch it, but I'm about to say it, uh, him as much as you can, right? Like, 
being forced to face death. He has to shoot his kids in the head and they're not zombies. They're his alive kids. His living and kids. what's interesting is this twist that, that the filmmakers made, not King, in the same, it, both at once, and this is what I think makes it sort of muddy, which kind of makes it mediocre to me, is... Uh, the missed ending is actually, if you copy and pasted it to here, that ending's better for this movie than this ending, which is derivative of that ending. It's almost like they did a worse version of it in the sense that the theme is yep. he wants to protect his kid and he wants to come to terms with death. What better ending for a horror movie than he has to face death by killing his kid. They are the two things he wanted are at odds now. Um, so I'm just saying, if you're going to change the ending, do the actual logical point that your theme was escalating to. You know what I mean? Because you also love yeah. structure. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're 100% correct. And they just made uh, it a random exactly scary right. thing. That also doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Because I would just say, if you imagine what happens next, it A, doesn't make sense, and B, is funny. Like, so now the whole family's zombies. Do they live in the house and try to pretend to be humans and get people to How, think what they're are they gonna humans? What are they going to do? Uh, like, what is a zombie... Who are they torturing if they're the devil and they want souls? They're all zombies now. Like, what's the right. point? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's what ultimately deadites and zombies and they all what they all want in the end is total victory. So I guess they're just yeah. going to walk out in the street and just find some people to kill, I, I guess, guess yeah. you know. But yeah, you're right. It doesn't land in any thematic kind of resonance other than and they failed. Yeah. You know, and, that was, and the good. worst case scenario occurred. Yeah, that's sometimes that, well, that's how you why do I say tragedy. This isn't horrible. It's just it's fine. not. No, yeah. but it's like it could have been an apt kind of like, and you 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 reap what you sow. It's not kind of and thing. and I and I expect that the novel is really apt. This actually makes me want to read it because I fear death and grapple with death and mortality. And Stephen King has said that this novel, writing this novel, scared him the most. And I got to imagine that he means by that. <laughs> that the not this is the novel where he really talks about not just scary ways you could be in pain or die, but like literally the fear of inevitable mortality. And I, I would be interested in his more unpacked musings on that topic. I imagine that what what he meant is that while he's writing, and he would you know scribble, 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 and go. Oh, oh, then Zelda oh, would fall oh, and snap her neck, and he'd go, oh, no, "Why? Oh, oh. <laughs> what letter is anyway. that? Oh, it's just a K. It's an X." So, so yeah, that's all that's I have all I for Skeleton Crew. Sure. You want to head on over to it since we kind of started the conversation anyway? Yeah, let's pinch so, it off in the middle. Let's pinch it off. So this is where we talk about scene work, themes, and symbolism, and just what, you know, Mike and Abe usually want to talk about in a seg segment we call It. Bill, if you'll come with me, you'll float too. You'll float too. You'll float too. And uh, as I said, don't feel shortchanged. If it's not a super long it, because I because you were listening, we we kind of already started, but let's continue. <clears throat> I have a few things yeah. on this one actually, great. Because uh, like I love how in a way because it's simplistic and kind of rudimentary, King, uh, mm -hmm. it really really shows exactly what I think King is up to in all of his works. Um, but first, I want to ask two questions. One question: So Victor, what's his deal? Because, like, was he buried in the special place? Is he separate from the Wendigo? Is he just a ghost? Because he haunts right. not just Jason Clark, but Gage at one point, like, through distance in Boston. So, 
like what I don't know if there's re- like he seems to obey different rules. Yeah. Did you understand how that works? Well, I got to correct myself. Like- the book was actually written in 1983, not the 70s. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, um, I thought and reading a little bit about the book, I got confirmation that it's that's more like the shining, like the uh, the evil, the sour ground when the ghost spirit. Yeah also infects the whole town kind of like the mangler or whatever and it slightly uh, controls your mind to make you think that it's a good idea to bury things in the pet cemetery kind of like a venus flytrap or whatever or like a pitcher plant. right so that actually does retcon and make a lot of things make sense like judd is uh, apparently in the book like as he ages it's able to played, fuck with yeah. him and like so he's like it really seemed like a good idea at the time but obviously now i see like we shouldn't have done that and it made right. it's more supported um so i think Kinda that like answer it. is there right and um, yeah yeah i, I can live with that so i he, guess one thing just... i i still don't get and i know that victor is in the book or that mechanism is there why would the evil spirit make someone hallucinate someone telling them not to come to the cemetery I thought, or like its whole MO seems to be to lure you there and turn you into a zombie. Um, And some of this comes down to the uh, trick that we've been pulling ever since Lovecraft, right? No one knows (laughs) to this day. So, you know, some of it's just that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I had that problem with it. Um, Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Second question. Oh, yeah, you had two. What do you think the four animal mask kids represent and who are they? Oh, I don't, I didn't have like a terrestrial answer, but I thought that they were probably zombie kids because they've been around forever. They're always wearing the animal masks so you don't see that they're rotting and their job seems to be to find anything that's dead, like roadkill or whatever and and bring bring it it to to the the cemetery. So I feel like they're kids who are either already zombies or fully in thrall of the cemetery, like their mind fucked completely. (laughs) And they just live in, uh, the name of the place, by the way, the name of the place, by the way, is Little God Swamp, uh, yeah. which I love because that's, I don't know. I like that it's like a god of the little things. Well, that's like, yeah. Even though it can bring back humans, like, I like the idea of like people when they first kind of confronted this space were like, oh, the animals that we're bearing here. And keep King back. loves that. It's uh, the same as Desperation, mm-hmm. like, yes, uh, Tack. Uh, he likes the idea of in a dark far corner of the world in the deep in the swamp god's not omnipresent like god's grace does not reach and it's the domain right. of this random little tucked away primeval spirit that's playing its own little fucked up games and is slipping under the radar and oh no you walked into that area <laughs> right yeah yeah for real and i it, it put me on this path where i was like it um there's a line that judd says at one point he says it feeds on your grief. It gets into your mind. It says he's losing his own mind. As, you know, he's being drugged. And I thought that an important part of the like demonology in Kingsworth is that works is that it like kind of feeds on something, right? Like the but the the events, the actual pain sometimes comes from your own actions. Like ultimately, Lewis makes this choice, right? So there's a separation between the spirit and the body what the the want of the evil and the body meaning like what your actions are like what you do how like 
the, that will haunt you as well. And I just think that that's a really interesting way in which he portrays like religion, like God works through you, but in this case, it's just evil. And then I really noticed that King's story, as you kind of mentioned with it and a lot of things fit nicely into two camps. One, you do it like the grief, you do it to yourself. Think of Carrie, Dead Zone, Thinner, uh, a lot of the creep shows and even Misery. And then there's the other that it's like there's a big boss that just needs to be defeated where you literally challenge a god like it or Dark Tower with the man in black. Christine is a car. Mangler is, you know, he has interchangeable parts that he moves. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's like so it's it's just a monster that has stopped and made powerless. And he does both of them. And he's like, yeah, as you say, he interchanges them. But I just thought it was interesting that he like he really does one or the other. Uh, and this well, move, yeah, yeah, or he does mundane, real world, grounded misery, Cujo. Like yeah. I do like those where he's like, "What if the monster was just a big dog and you're a little kid?" Right. Cool. He can cool put, challenge. Yeah, he right. can make it down like more grounded, but like still, misery is about like it's not about the misery of just like a crazy fan. It's about the misery he did like James Con does to himself. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. He still likes the thing where you've. You brought it on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also just, well, if you like this movie or this story, I guess it reminded me a lot of kill list, uh, which is a horror movie. I low key really like. Uh, and then I thought it was interesting just as we've been talking, it made me realize, and I don't think there's a direct influence there, but you could nutshell it pretty much the same way as the last of us in the sense that it's about, mm. Uh, yeah, I see it. Obsessive daddy daughter connection. There's zombies involved. And then the daughter is totally chill until he lies to her. And then she flips out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, speaking of flipping true. out, we didn't really cover it. I think it's amazing that uh, all he wanted, understandably, is his daughter alive again. And almost the first, their first interaction almost is I'm dead, aren't I? No, honey. No, you're here with me. I can hear the woods inside me. Does mommy know? <laughs> Please, Elle, close your eyes. And then he wakes up and she's doing ballet and throwing plates around. And his immediate reaction is to just scream, stop it. My point being, he's already sick of her. Like, yeah, like he, he already is like, no, I'm regretting this. Yeah. Yeah. Even when he like, even when he lays down next to her, because she's like, uh, she's like, come here, daddy. I'm he's you like, know, like, just go to sleep. I'm like, did he you like, like know lays- this was going to. So, yes, he really brings it on himself. <laughs> Yeah, he knows. He knows almost mm-hmm. immediately, which is just really funny. Jason you Clark plays it pretty was. well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, well, there's just another, like, I, I wanted to talk about, like, how this the Stephen King, uh, you know, ness of it all, like, just all his tropes that he pulls from. Yeah. We did mention Maine, move from Boston, rural versus urban. We get the outsider trope of family moves to a new strange setting, a town with history. Uh, even the main source of physical danger, the street, it's playing on like family, that trope of families, families, parents telling kids don't play in the street. And I love, I kind of referenced it earlier, uh, events that happen, big events that happen in this movie, as in like the arc points, like the, you know, like, okay, the next thing that's important to the uh, story arc happens on uh, a birthday, Halloween, Thanksgiving, uh, even a family move. These are all core uh, family memories, classic family memories. And so, a super once easy a- way in a film that you 
it, like to quickly show and they live there for a whole year like other yes. movies have it's such a handy and i ain't I mad just, at it like it works i love how once time and time again king's like the one if you had to say like one thing that king always does is that he invades the special like important quote family american moments normalcy the 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 idea of being like the picturesque family corrupting the sacred times of your life and he's all about that and it's just i love that everything has to happen on on like a moment like a, a event that is special or sacred to us mm-hmm. um even though it's not it has nothing to do with thanksgiving or a birthday or halloween it's just on that day because that's a day of memories this terrible thing happened just to corrupt it and so i think it's great i just love as we've done this podcast how i have appreciation for king's like stick to itiveness on that uh front because i think it's a really really cool unique thing that he does and not and he's inspired a lot of people to do but like it really is his thing mm-hmm. uh I mean, I just have a couple more. My main point that's actually meaty or meaningful, I guess, is mm-hmm. uh, I do think and I wonder about the book version. I don't know. Maybe he illuminates the inside of her head a little more. But the Rachel character, this is a trope in horror as well. But sometimes I wonder if it's a trope that comes from a place of unexamined bias. Uh, sometimes we call it like if it was an action movie, we'd call right. it fridging. But these characters in horror movies, usually women, usually the wife or whatever, um, who gets punished so much more than him and has this pre-existing trauma that's genuinely like you are a little kid. It's no fault of your own. How fucked up that you carry this horror and this grief. Um, and it's not resolved at all. In fact, her death is feeling worse about it than she's ever felt in her life. As she watches her own baby kill her and say, I hate you. I'm in hell. Cause you failed me as a mother. So I get that, well, it's horrifying because it's so bad, (laughs) but it's not befalling the person who brought it on themselves. Mm -hmm. So it just feels cruel and cruelty is a part of horror that I can totally get down with. I like Snowtown, if people know that incredibly cruel, fucked up movie. But I (laughs) kind of bothers me structurally when the equation is wonky like that. Like everyone warned Lewis and Lewis transgressed and yes he has a bad time but not as bad as rachel (laughs) rachel like only exists as a character to be fucked with yeah yeah exactly that's true uh it happens a lot and i don't know if it's a king thing but it's definitely a wider movie thing uh and a genre thing in terms of horror um it's just a subtler version of black black character dies first in the horror movie right yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just uh, not the protag- not the white male protagonist, you know. Um, the other execution thing or the last thing that I'll say for this stuff is like we did mention this is kind of in the genre or it's in the uh, camp of uh, suffering from bland, low contrast color correction and, mm. you know, f- uh, photography. Sometimes we're shown like this POV of a character looking in the forest or seeing something. One of the biggest ones is the Wendigo itself. It's like that's kind of a big art like moment and the lack of highlights or shine on things that you're supposed to look at. Just like the basic 
basic understanding of direction of a, the eye, it all just kind of looks like mush. So you're not quite sure or told as the audience member what part of the frame you're meant to look at. So you just kind of scan the frame with your eyes. That's bad. Uh, the other thing is I think that this thing suffers from, as we mentioned, kind of the over-reliance of jump scares. I think jump scares aren't bad. Uh, we covered Carrie last time and De Palma would do this kind of just say like randomly a car almost swerves that's into true, another car. But it car. has about a dozen and that's but too many for an hour. It's 40. just too many. Yeah. It's just too many. And we tip like I because I think you need to build an ominous tone uh, and not be reliant just on creepy imagery. So jump scares are helpful in kind of, you know, navigating that space and just throwing something else at, at you. But um like if you take Misery or Creepshow or 1408, there's a suspense that kind of fizzles into nothing or the creepy imagery itself is more than just a haunt scare. And uh, this movie just really loves them. And I think that that's something that I think is more indicative of like the James Wan era. You know, like if you look at movies like The Nun or Conjuring or they're trying know. to make it punchy when the impression I get is right. that the book was more of a somber, sad meditation yes. on the grief of losing a child. The fact that we will all die someday and rot away <laughs> like and they're like, but could it be punchier? Like, could you be on a roller coaster ride also? Right. And, you know, that's tough to do. And at the same time, I think this thing suffers from pacing. Uh, mm-hmm. It does. It yeah. does. And that might actually be a part of the story itself. I bet it's. It's true a lot in the of book, time. but it is wild that the mm-hmm. actual full escalation of the premise, meaning my kid came back to life, uh, that's the break into three. I thought that would happen at the midpoint because then we're yeah. in topsy-turvy land. If you know basic screenplay structure, you know what I mean. But it happens like two-thirds of the way through the movie, which is traditionally a little later than you would normally do a move like that. <clears throat> that's right. Um, and I will say, I, I think it, while well, we're all shitting on it, Hey, even not great movies make for great conversation, though. This was very satisfying. Um, but agreed. I thought the shot where Ellie tries to peer up over the bed because he's like, I know you're behind the bed. And she does an exorcist <laughs> spider crawl. Uh, well, yeah. Great. Any child actor that age. Kudos to you. I'm sorry you're in whatever situation where you're doing a horror movie and your parents want you to do this, but uh, maybe you're really well adjusted and you love it. But regardless, I, I don't want to shit on any child actor, but I'll just say the girl in this like is no Linda Blair or even like if you saw Evil Dead Rise <laughs> recently, the Evil Dead Rise kids. I don't. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just an execution thing. Yeah, we, we talked about this. We've done this a few times in this podcast. I think when the children of corn, other than the leader, were like, these kids suck. These kids are not <laughs> killing it. But what's fun? Well, that's and I only want to be honest about that because yeah. there's the rare movie where a kid does kill it. And it's like, that's mind blowing. Like, it almost makes no sense to me. Think yeah. about what your thoughts were like when you were nine. And, you know, Haley Joel's. 11 doing the sixth sense or whatever. And that's why, right. or, uh, L fanning. Was that her name? When, the, when the one of those Fanning's, Dakota, and Dakota Fanning, yeah. yeah. when one of those kids comes along who can act like an adult ex, everyone's like, Whoa. Um, but most kids are not good. And this kid was not good. Linda Blair and the exorcist man. One of the all time performances. Come on. I mean, she's given it. Get out of here. here. And right. she sucks Satan's dick in hell. I yep. believe is my understanding. I believe is a direct quote. Yeah. 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 Uh, but is she about, good? Like, speaks? is it a good blowjob? That's what we never find out. <laughs> Does she throw in a lot of teeth? Does Satan like teeth? He is the devil. Let's he move into devil. our final segment. 
this is where we rank this in order in uh, like versus all the adaptations we've covered so far. Boy, oh boy, do we have to have an offline conversation about this bloated list. We're at 23 now. So how do we approach this? Should we go from the top or the bottom? I'm switching tabs. I would say let's go from the top because I don't think anyone would be surprised to find this will probably be in the bottom half. Yep. Okay, cool. Not giving anything away, but yes. Number one, The Shining. All right, Shining. Number two, Dr. Sleep. Stand by me. Number three, Stand By Me. Misery. Number four, Misery. Dr. Sleep. Boom. The Quatrain. Number five, The Mist. The Mist. Yeah, shoot that kid. And then have it mean nothing. It means nothing. Nothing. Um, Six, Carrie. Carrie. Yeah, seven, 1408. Talk about a cruel- Running Man. I just got nostalgia for it. I just love it. Too cheesy for me. I do like the cruelty in 1408. Speaking of cruelty, I can work with. Uh, Creep Show, number eight. Uh, I put number eight as 1408 because I agree with you most of the time. Surprise! Truck flyby number nine, Pet Cemetery 2019. It's in my top half. Um, but that doesn't mean it's great. That means it is fine. Like I would give it a C plus. It's in the middle road. It's a I I have like to me the top. It's in the middle. The the top. The top eight are like all right bangers. Uh, and then the middle are like uh, mediocre, and then the bottom. This is a, literally the cutoff chart. film for me now. Like, like that's I, interesting. Well, whereas I would say I like Creep Show, you should watch it, and I would say that about everything above that. Everything I, below yeah. here, I would say you don't need to watch that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. I kind of agree. Um, uh, it's interesting because I put mine in the same like what I would call section, mm-hmm. but I put it at the bottom, so it's a little of it's that a little section. distant from. Yeah. yeah, we still got a ways before I bring up. So Pet we're Cemetery. arguing about the finer point of how mm-hmm. mid is Pet Cemetery 2019, and I put it at bottom mid. Nice. Yeah. Um, did you? Did we get your number nine? Nine is at pupil for me. Number ten, Dark Tower. Number ten, The Green Mile. Number eleven, Apt Pupil. Creep Show. Number twelve, ah, Creep Show. I, I should be. I like that one. Number twelve, Christine. Mm-hmm. Uh, desperation. I think it's just because I, like I was that. obsessed with the comic as a kid. Mm-hmm. Number thirteen, Running Man. Good but cheesy, and that hurts it for me. Thirteen, and I probably this is the one I probably regret the most. Christine. I just really didn't like it because I have such high, uh, I have such a high opinion of John Carpenter, so I put it lower than it probably See, deserves to be. I thought it would be the stupidest worst thing we would cover because it's about a haunted car till I learned the mangler right. exists. But my point being, I put it kind of high because for being the dumbest premise ever and an old movie, which means by our standards, the scares are not yeah. very intense. I was like, it's still engaging and entertaining. And I have to chalk that up to That's Carpenter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's absolutely yeah. right. Uh, what are we at? 14, 14 thinner. 14 is where I put, this episode's Pet Cemetery mm. because, and it's like at the bottom two of what yeah. I would call the middle section. Yeah. Um, we're now leaving my middle section to, to last stop dead zone. For me, it's children of the corn, which at this point, you know, I think they're all the same. <laughs> well, so dead zones, the last one where I'd say, um, there's some good craftsmanship on display, but it's pretty boring below this. I'd go, I actually think it sucks. Number 16, my, my favorite hot take. It TV series. 
I think it this sucks. Is, <laughs> I put I put sixteen. It the t- yeah, yeah not it good. Sucks. Not good. People love. I love. Growing up, it was legendary. It's yeah. it's not. It's it's actually not good. Actually not good. As is number seventeen, the Mangler. Uh, Dead Zone. The Mangler is fun to watch though. Mangler is a fun like movie night yeah. movie for sure. Number eighteen, Desperation. Tack. Number 18, I can't believe you put that so low. Uh, number 18, The Dark Tower, because it's just hot garbage. I Desperation fell many rungs because I can't handle that it ends with the writer character who is a Stephen King analog who rides a motorcycle mm-hmm. and like plays rock and roll, <laughs> bravely sacrifices himself to save the world from the devil. I'm Dude, just like, come on, Stephen King. It's so sick. It's so sick. <laughs> number 19, uh, Children of the Corn. Thinner, because it's bad and it's kind of racist. really bad. I should probably lower thinner. I wonder if we'll mm. ever reformulate. Okay, we'll talk about that off mic. Number 20, mm. Dreamcatcher, the alien poop movie. <laughs> this one's where I put 1979 Salem's Lot, which is hot garbage. Really bad. Dude, sometimes I just remember that scene where Jason Lee, is he wants to reach a, a single match on the toilet, but if he moves too far, the alien will leap up his butt Uh, and that's the tension. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that's, I put, I put uh, Dreamcatcher for my next one and it's just like, there are so many moments like Jonesy (laughs) that I laugh out loud, but I'm just like, this is a mess. You don't know what you're like, wait, is it, like there's like eighty things oh, going about, on. You it got bites his dick at once mind, in like a comedic fashion. Yeah. You got mine prisons or mine palaces, <laughs> and you got like four types of aliens. You have telepathic people. It's like it's all yeah. over the place, man. Speaking of prisons, my number twenty one is Green Mile. Uh, if you people are usually surprised at so low, listen to the episode if you want to know. No, it's a hot hot take, baby. Um, for twenty two, I put the Mangler just because. Fuck it. The Mangler shot to the top of my it's bad list because it's fun bad. Uh, 22, I put Maximum Overdrive, which is over the top in a way that is trying too hard to be fun bad and comes off just bad to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I put for my last one that we've covered so far in this series as of, you know, what is this going to come out? This is going to come out at the end of May 2023. Uh, maximum Overdrive, because not only is it like just as bad as the last four movies we've all mentioned, it's also an irresponsible film that almost oh, killed right. people. The set was a nightmare. Did cocaine. And as a director, you actually think it's like you care. I mean, I care, but it doesn't occur to me. You're like, it's morally wrong to fucking put people in danger for a film. <laughs> yes. Like you keep that in mind. That's good. Um, for me, number 23 committed the gravest sin you can commit, uh, <laughs> which is just as boring as anything we've encountered on this show so far. It's Salem's Lot, 1979. And it's like baby's first concept of like its premises. There are vampires here. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Imagine Great. a vampire. Ooh, okay. You got me started. That's it. Yeah. That's all I got. <laughs> uh, well, you know what? This, well, we're going to have to figure out something about how we approach this. Like we put it in categories. We give it new numbers. I don't know. No. It's getting. What, when we do. Do you remember the beginning of this? Episodes, I said, that's the joke. That's. That's so when we. That's the brilliant. Episode unfunny Tim Heidecker 40, style Nathan Fielder-esque joke. 
God. And now it's going to be a joke that I hate it and you love it. That, so let's run with that. The escalation of the bit. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the part that makes it really sizzle. Uh, well, this was a joy. A uh, nice brisk episode on 2019's Pet Cemetery. Do you have any final thoughts before uh, we play ourselves out? Only if you know what's oh, like, you could give a sneak peek at our slate if you know what's coming up. But if you don't, yeah, uh, we have a director piece theater coming up this week, nice. um, and it's on Top Gun, and it's an uh, uh, basically an essay that was written by Adam Ganser, and it's real good. We already recorded it, and mm-hmm. I think it's great. Uh, also, we're g- gonna have another installment of uh, Star Trek: The Next Futurama, mm-hmm. uh, and we have a frame rate because we've turned back on the uh, pick the flick tier. So here's the deal. If you go to if you go to patreon.com slash small beans, you're probably listening to it right now on there. Uh, you can go to the tiers and uh, one of the tiers is pick the flick. If it is already taken, uh, you know, you can't get it. But if it's open, you can pay some money and choose the movie that we cover on our other uh, one of our other podcast frame rate where we just, you know, talk about whatever we want to talk about movies uh, where we cover a movie that's chosen by you. Um, also, we have the return that I think is it, there's some pageantry here that's necessary. The return of our other show that has an initial that has a, initials that sound like cock, which is cast and curious no, because we just had the uh, 10th installment with fast X. So Sarah and Bridget are back again and they're bringing the heat uh, very furiously. So look forward to those episodes. I sack the cack for... and have it, yeah. <laughs> Cock and cack. That's where, it's, that's where it's at. Vocal exercise. Uh, yeah. Uh, and there's one other thing we always want to mention, right? Which is that we're making a movie, yeah? Well, I assume the start plate will be on this. That's true. That's but true. Just, but if, if you you've listened it, this far. Yeah. yeah. And you're somehow not aware, go, we're making a movie. Um, the campaign's still live as of this release. It should be live for like 18 more days, looking at the calendar. Uh, ends mm-hmm. June 15th. So yeah, uh, we really, really mean it. And it, we mean it as, as hard as we can. Uh, we can make a movie. We want to make a movie. We'll do a really good job. Please trust us with some of your money if you'd be willing to. If you could spare it, uh, you can find out all about the film by going to seedandspark.com slash fund slash papa hyphen bear. That's the name of the movie, Papa Bear. Uh, or you could rewind this episode all the way to the beginning, and I believe we we drop the synopsis in the start plate. So yep. yeah, and you can, can also click on. it in the description of this episode. So please do that. Uh, we'd love you forever, even though, as we uh, are wont to say, we love you. But now it's contingent upon something. <laughs>